So I uh, only made the ascent uh, to the top of Mount Evans, the 12th highest peak of the Colorado Rockies, one time in the four years that Ann and I lived there. But I made it all the way to the top, and I could look around and see for miles. Now, the air was very thin up there, and it was hard to breathe, and I believe I began experiencing the onset of altitude sickness, which can be lethal. It became harder and harder to move, and everything I did was sluggish. It, it took a real effort on my part to do anything at all. I wasn't the only one feeling the effects, but I was probably the worst. And so our party couldn't spend much time at the top. We had to return to lower elevations fairly quickly, which we did without incident. Okay, so maybe you won't be so impressed by that. When I tell you that I went to the summit of Mount Evans in a car, and I wasn't even driving, I was just a passenger. And still, it's uh, up over 15,000 feet, and yet I did manage to get out of the vehicle and hobble around a little bit. The road up uh, Mount Evans is the highest paved road in North America, and you really can get altitude sickness up there. Maybe not of the life-threatening kind, but it feels pretty awful, and yet it's well worth drive. And not just for the sake of the summit. I mean, we stopped any number of times on the way up for the scenery and to get a better look at mountain goats and other wildlife. And that's true, really, of most of the peaks in Colorado. The view at the summit is, is spectacular, but, but there are many scenic turnouts on, on the way up that are well worth uh, stopping for, all of which adds to the overall experience. In a sense, we are in one of those turnouts in our journey through the book of Romans. Now, Paul began building an argument at the start of chapter 6, which really doesn't reach its peak or its summit until chapter 8. We won't get the full uh, experience, the complete understanding of what he's saying or what he's going to say until we get there. But without the things that we discover on the way, we won't appreciate all of which Paul has to say to us in that place. Now, last week, Paul revealed something to us as he began building this argument, as we began our journey with him to this peak, to this summit, which we could have never discovered on our own. In fact, our experience almost points in the opposite direction. Yet it's important for us to know this truth. Paul told us the spiritual reality is the truth about us, if we have put our faith in Christ, is that we are dead to sin. Now, we still struggle against sin, so it doesn't feel that way. But when we came to Christ, when we put our faith in what he did on that cross, we're not only with him, but we are in him. As it says in another place in the scripture, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms right now. And the death that he died for sin for us is also our death to sin. And for us, maybe the best way to think about 
about it is, is we have chosen the way out of sin and the chains of raw. While those who don't respond to Christ's call choose to remain in sin, and therefore they are still in their chains. Now when you accept that, and you should because it's the truth, then you begin to understand something else. You see a lost person, someone who hasn't come to faith in Christ, is a slave to sin. They're in their chains still. Therefore, they, they cannot help but sin. They, they have no choice, really, in the matter. They, they're still responsible for their actions, for they could come to Christ to, to be set free. They just choose not to. But that makes them slaves to sin, which they've chosen over Christ. So they, they have no choice in the matter but to obey their master. But you and I, when we put our faith in Christ, we're dead to sin. And so when we sin, it's by choice. And that's rather a sobering thought, isn't it? I, I know it often still feels as though we're still slaves to our sinful nature. I mean, the strength of the temptation can be so strong, but we can react so quickly in some particular situation. It seems as though we're almost programmed for it. But God never allows us to be attempted beyond what we can bear. He always makes a way of escape. You, you see, there is this choice before us as believers. We, we willingly can obey our sinful nature. We can choose it and in the process become slaves to sin again, even if it's only temporarily. Or we can choose obedience to something much greater. And that's what Paul says. So I'm going to ask you to join me once again in the book of Romans chapter 6, where we're going to be considering uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and when we turn there, we discover Paul saying something in verse 16 about this choice. We read these words. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Those words are spoken to us. They apply in their own way to the unbeliever, but they're spoken to us. The lost are truly slaves to sin. They're without a choice in the matter. Now, again, they could find freedom in Christ, and they're still responsible for what they do. But we have a say in what we do. We can choose to be a slave for sin. It's temporary. I mean, if we really belong to Christ, he will not let us live in that state right on and on. He'll have something to say and do about it. But even though that slavery is only temporary, the consequence of that choice is deadly serious. Now, I don't know whether you noticed it or not, so let me tell you, let me make it plain. Sin leads to death. It always does. Were we to do a survey of the scriptures, we would discover sometime such a death it's physical. Sometimes it's a death of a relationship. 
sometimes it means the end of some other good thing which God wants for you or otherwise wanted for you. But death is the end result of sin. Now, I, I don't want you to despair. I, I mean, I'm right where you are. And it's good to know, and we need to know, that God is gracious. And we learn from other scriptures that sin actually has to grow to the point of bringing death. So confession and repentance bring us back into God's good grace. But don't ever let us think that we can take sin lightly. When we choose to sin, and that is what we're doing when we're choosing sin, we're playing with fire and we're all too likely to get burned to hurt other people in the process. And then, too, sin is blinding. I, I mean, we may find ourselves further down that path of destruction than we ever thought possible. And we even fool ourselves into, into thinking that what we know really deep down in our hearts is sin. We, we fool ourselves into thinking it's okay. But that's the gist of verse 15. What then, Paul writes, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Uh, we saw something like that last week. And then the excuse was for us to sin was that it would cause grace to abound. And here the excuse is we're not under the law, so we really don't have to worry about anything. And Paul's response here is the same as it was last week. And again, it's almost to shout by no means. Don't be fooled. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Sin is a choice we make, and sin leads to death. But for the believer, there's another choice, and we can choose obedience. Now, we're not going to turn back there, but verse 16, if you remember, told us that obedience uh, led to righteousness, and it doesn't stop there, of course. Other things follow that righteousness, and, and we're going to take a look at that a little bit later. Uh, along with some further details about sin, which we see in this passage, if we should choose that. But for now, I want us to see what we are obedient to. Uh, verse 16 didn't tell us. It's not until almost the end of verse 17 that we find out. This is what we read in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your hearts the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Now, there's a lot going on here, but the first thing we need to understand is that pattern of teaching Paul's talking about here is that teaching, or, or we might say those truths, which come from or arise out of the gospel, the fact rooted in history that God sent his son to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven so that we could be set free from our sins, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could live forever. And once we come to trust Christ, uh, once we come to him, we've trusted in him, there's this dramatic change uh, in us and, and, and in the way that we ought to relate to the world. Now, I think we can think of it this way. At least I hope this will be helpful for you. Had you been born and lived communist nation, you would have grown up thinking uh, of yourself as a subject of the government. You would
would have believed that because that's what you would have been taught, that the government is supreme and certainly beyond any criticism of yours. You're only a cog in its giant works, and your whole purpose in life is to fit in and to contribute. And you are, frankly, indispensable. The system will get along just fine without you. But then if you were able to emigrate to the United States, you would find yourself in an entirely different environment where the government is supposed to serve the people, a place where people, not just systems and governments are supreme, people who are by law free to pursue happiness and not feel some mandate of the system. We have both the right and duty to criticize our government if they lose sight of that truth. And we have obligations, yes, but they are to higher principles and ideals and not to a mere system. Well, in a similar way, before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin. When we thought of God, if we ever thought of him, we thought of him in terms of trying to stay on his good side, hoping to we could do enough good things to outweigh the bad. But once we come to him, however, we know he loves us. We know we belong to him and nothing will ever separate us from us. From him, the, the things we do now, we do because we love him back. The things we do now, we do not so we can be saved, but because we already are saved. This is the pattern of the teaching which the text says has claimed our allegiance, or, or another translation puts it, uh, it's the pattern of teaching to which we're committed. This is what we believe. This is what we embrace. And the text says we're committed to this teaching from our heart. It's the core of our being. It's who we really are, even though sometimes we don't live up to it. Verse 18 puts it this way. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. If you and I who have come to Christ, if we're going to be slaves, then let us be slaves to righteousness. Now, verse 13, I mean, verse 19, Paul explains uh, why he's putting this thing, this argument in these terms. Let me read there. I'm using an example from everyday life. It may not be everyday to us, but we do have some understanding of slavery. Because of your human limitations, I'm explaining it this way. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. You see, our human limitations is the fact that though all we, that we are dead to sin, we can still choose to be its slave. We can still sin. We still struggle with it. So as a slave doesn't have any choice, right? He has to do what his or her master before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin, but after coming to him, we can choose to do what is right. But sometimes, sometimes the only way we can think of it, for the struggle against sin is real. I, I, I think we have to think of ourselves as slaves to 
righteousness and to do what it demands even when we don't feel like it. That's the reality of our situation. Christian life is a life that's full of glory. But not everything is bliss. Some of it's just of the Christian life as a wrong obedience in the same direction is a wonderful description. Along the way, there are good things that happen, but sometimes you just have to slog through. And when we get to chapter 8, we're going to find there's help for us in that battle. Sometimes we just have to think of ourselves as slaves and do the next right thing. The truth is, my friends, if you haven't discovered it, the truth is, is that raging temptation that sometimes seems to grip you like a bite, it will pass away. And we'll be left with the results of the choice which we make, good or bad. Now, all of that pretty much defines the choice that is between us, before us as believers. We can choose to be slaves of sin or righteousness. Now the text gives us some more information to help us to make the right choice. It, it, it tells us more about sin and, and it tells us more about righteousness that we can choose. And as for sin, we already know that left unchecked and unless we repent, it leads to death. But did you notice how verse 19 talked about it, what it said about sin? We, we used to offer ourselves, the text says, as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. You see, sin is, a, is an unclean thing. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's impure. It, it, it always comes wrapped uh, in a sparkling package, but that's inside. It's not something that you would ever bring out in good company. You hide it away, and if anyone saw you with it, you'd be deeply ashamed. But sin is vociferous, uh, that is, it grows, it multiplies exponentially like an amoeba. It's like a germ left unchecked. It will infect every part of your life. And it can spread to others, from us to their real detriment. Verse 20 tells us when we were slaves from sin to sin, we were free from the control of righteousness. You understand what it's saying? It's an either-or thing. You choose sin of righteousness leaves you to your choice. There is real power in righteousness to control us for good. But we can't have it both ways. We have choices to make in this life. Verse 21 tells us sin brings no good into our lives. And when we're in our right minds, we're ashamed of it. So we read there, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things that result.
this is something that is pure and clean and wholesome. Something that's healthy for the inner being. But when we see it, um, it, it's something that we greatly desire. It leads to that which can inspire us and others to great heights. It's worthy of great praise, and God himself takes delight in it when we walk with him in that way. Verse 22 sums it up for us. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. I mean, how can holiness not live forever? Sin will come to an end, but the goodness that comes from righteousness is eternal. It never will fade away. That's what eternal life is. It's God's life in us. And it's full good. That's a choice that we have. It's, it's set before us every single day. We can choose sin and become its slave, even if only for a time, which puts us on a path leading to death.
because of that, we are dead to sin. We'll struggle with it. It's hard. But we don't have to choose it. We can't. We can't. We can't because God is our God.